All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Cart Overflow. I'm your host, Ken Furukawa, where we will dive into e-commerce marketing and strategies that brands are using. And today, I'm really excited because we have the founder and operator of a footwear brand, a direct-to-consumer and also retail brand, Billy Price, founder of Billy Footwear. Billy, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks for joining. And I, I don't want to dive right in. And I think like it your, your founding story has is very deeply focused on your personal experience. So can you just explain that personal story and how that manifested into Billy Footwear as it is today? Yeah, sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. Well, so first off, as a company, we're Billy Footwear. We're based out of Seattle, Washington. And I'm Billy. I'm one of the two co-founders of the company. It's myself and Darren Donaldson. As a business, we really, the business was founded in 2012, but we really didn't start hitting the, the shelves of major retailers in, two, in 2017 is where really started getting going. The brand initially, it was kind of a side hustle between Darren and myself. And it was more of a creative brainstorm on being able to put a zipper in a shoe where it goes on the outside of the shoe around the toe, where the whole upper of the shoe folds over and you can drop your foot in unobstructed. And uh, there's zippers, there's a lot of shoes out there in the marketplace that have zippers, but having it configured this way was radically different. And the inspiration behind that came from my own story. I'm a wheelchair user. That was not always the case. I when I was a freshman in college, unfortunately, I fell out of a three-story window. And when that happened, I broke my neck, I broke my lower back, and really my world changed. I was a fiercely independent kid and then turned into a very dependent kid. And there were so many things that I used to be able to do that I could no longer do in putting on shoes was one of those deals. So over the years, it kind of bugged me. <laughs> so then we just kind of came up with the solution to really try to make it so I could then put my shoes on again by myself. And that small little idea, that small little thing turned into a side hustle and uh, the marketplace really gravitated towards the idea and towards the brand. And uh, now it's our main thing. So it's pretty exciting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, what, what a traumatic experience. And uh, it's, I'm not sure if like your, your engineering, mechanical engineering background played a role in how you're, you're thinking about this from a very, like, I guess scientific calculated type of way. But I, I'd be curious to know, like, so you founded it in 2011, a little bit as a side hustle. You said it brand really got going in 2017. That's a long time to be running a business and and uh, between like the focus and determination, the persistence and, and to kind of continue to iterate in an incredibly competitive market. What was that turning point and, and how did you arrive at that after so many years of working on it? Well, that's an awesome question. And uh, you're right. There's a lot going on between the founding of the company in 2017. First off, you know, to, to start a shoe company is to take a lot of capital and there's really capital that we didn't have. So, and even to make a prototype, I mean, if you're going to jump into this and you got to really jump into it, you know, full body, you're not just going to tiptoe into it. So through those years, it was a matter of kind of generate some capital. And uh, we actually did something completely, completely different where uh, we started manufacturing these ski gloves. Because the way I broke my neck, I just don't really have very good hand dexterity. And uh, we started making these adaptive ski gloves, you know, for a very niche market. But it was a, we're trying to utilize that as a capital generator to be able to move forward with the shoes. So we worked on that for a couple of years. And then in 2015, we actually landed on a reality television show where uh, they saw the success we're having with the ski gloves and basically asked the question, like, well, what else are you working on? And that's when we said, like, well, shoot, we got this shoe idea that uh, we think it has a huge market, a lot of potential. And uh, at least it was enough for them to invite us onto their show. And we kind of leveraged the exposure of that show to really try to like deliver our message on this emerging shoe brand. So that took us into 2015. 
And then we started working with much more developed you know, sourcing partners to get the shoes manufactured and networking to be able to get into stores like Nordstrom and Zappos. And that took us up to 2017. So it was, the way I describe it, it seemed like a very linear process, but there was a lot of like trying to experiment and figure out what was going on to get there. But as soon as that back to school of 2017 hit, we, we had kind of established the brand at that point. And we knew we were in a direction going the right direction to really set this thing up for success. Yeah. This is largely focused on like direct, direct to consumer brands. You're straddling it. You, you like, I imagine, yeah, you get the exposure on Zappos and Nordstrom and you're, you're like, you've hit the, the mainstream, so to speak. How are your, how, how are you dividing your time, your attention, your revenues or, or resources between direct to consumer, like on, on your billyfootwear.com versus some of the retail outlets? Yeah, great question. So initially, so right now I'd say it's about 50-50, but at that time we, to set this business up and give us the greatest probability of success, we knew we would have to have these staple retail partners. So when we first started, we had billyfootwear.com as a website. However, we weren't doing our own sales. We were redirecting all that traffic to our retail partners. So that was Zappos and Nordstrom. And then as that you know foundation was being built, we actually turned on our own e-commerce site in 2018, December, 2018. And initially I'd say our concern was we were gonna steal traffic from those retail partners, but it was actually just the opposite. It was a matter of by us launching our own e-commerce site, the audience all of a sudden got way bigger because there were so many more eyeballs focusing on the brand and it got exposure out. And, you know, I don't know, there was plenty of, plenty of space out there for us all to be successful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, so 50, 50 split, that's kind of like maybe revenue or profit, but I assume that there's a, a preference or a benefit to you in terms of profit margin and customer data, if you're going direct to consumer as opposed to through a retailer. Uh, yeah, good point. When it comes to customer data, like the direct email marketing through our own .com, so direct to consumer, we get some valuable, valuable information and we can just monitor where these, where the interest is coming from, like not only domestic, but just international. We know who's reaching out, which is great information for us to be able to communicate to our retail partners or to a, a smaller store that may be interested in carrying the brand. We can take our direct to consumer you know, kind of demographic data and pass and let us know or let our retail partners know that there is a market in their area to help them succeed. Now, when oh, I, I say so. like, oh yeah, so, so really quick, like 50-50, it's like we're, I'd say we're 50-50 right about now, but in terms of growth, there's significantly more space, I'd say on the, the business to business, on the wholesale side, just because there's huge box stores. I mean, you have Target, you have Walmart, you have, you have Kohl's, you have you know, Nordstrom, you have all these like independent stores all around the world. Whereas, yes, we have great traction right now on, on direct to consumer and that will continue to grow. But we expect the, the, the wholesale market to continue to grow at a rapid rate just because that space is bigger. Got it. So, yeah, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, a lot of it is actually more specific to the ge geography of or maybe like the shipping zip. And then you're saying like, hey, we're actually getting like a lot of sales in Seattle. We'll go to like Seattle retailers and then show them this data. And then that that's what's helpful. And then maybe you're able to also triangulate styles or, or sizes, genders or adult versus kids, and then kind of like hone in on what you're offering them. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to that, we can notify our direct to, our direct to consumer customers that they now have a storefront in their area if they want to go in and actually give business to that smaller retailer or go in there and try it on and just, uh, you know, 
don't know, it, it, it's a real community type collaborative deal to be able to kind of build that relationship with the customer, but also, you know, build a relationship with that new retailer that we've just opened. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I'd be curious to know from an outside perspective, like your shoes are unique and different in, in that like the toe or there's a zipper around the whole shoe. So it's easier to slip on and off. And I think it, it flips over to make it easier to put on. But from some of the reviews that I saw and maybe like some of the product lifestyle images, it doesn't necessarily cater to an adaptive footwear brand, but that's where you started. Are you seeing that it's slowly maybe like merging more towards, you know, I guess, anybody would go to Nortrum or are you still finding your core customer as those that have the adaptive needs? I love that question. <laughs> I absolutely love that question. And again, that's kind of 50, 50. So it's when we first launched the brand, we did not want to just go out there and say like, Hey, we're making an adaptive shoe. We didn't really, really use that language. It was more, we wanted to create a shoe of universal design. And that kind of sent back to like my engineering days going like, well, you think of engineering or universal design in the sense of a, of architecture, it's like creating a space that everyone can enjoy. So we took that same, um, you know, thought process and applied it to fashion, or we took fashion and function and tried to smash those two together. So our audience, our audience really is everyone. And those that need a functional shoe, given the nature of how it opens up, um, and especially because that's where the inspiration came from, my from my own challenge, I mean, it works amazing. I mean, if you have paralysis, or if you have like maybe wearing a brace or, you know, just whatever the case, having that easy on, easy off capability, just do that zipper, it works really well. But the flip side of that is having a zipper, the way it's set up, it's a trendy looking shoe. I mean, it, it, it just, the zipper follows the style line around the outside. Um, it just, I don't know, the truth of the matter is everyone loves a convenient shoe. As a parent of a three and a half year old, anything we can do to get that kid out the door faster is always a good thing. So our audience, it's been incredible because it's it, it really works for anybody. You don't have to have a disability to qualify yourself to wear the brand. We want to create something of inclusion that everyone can enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd love to kind of double click now on the 50% of the side that you're driving from direct to consumer and some of the marketing strategies and, and the traffic channels and, so, and sources that you're using. Would you be able to shed some light on some of the, the wins and losses that you're experiencing in terms of say paid traffic or, or organic or, or affiliate referrals, but yeah, a little bit more on your marketing strategy for the online part. Yeah, sure. No problem. So a lot of our success, our, our success as a brand has really been ever since day one, it's been rooted in building relationship and word of mouth. So through that word of mouth, what we try to do is we try to really empower the customer for them to be able to tell their story. And then we elevate those stories. We do that through social media tremendously. Early on, we first kind of launched like at Billy Footwear, that's our social handle on both Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, I suppose too. But it was a matter of trying to get that traffic and starting from zero, going from zero to like 20,000. I mean, that's that's a heck of a journey. I mean, zero to 100, let alone 500, let alone 1,000. That can take a lot, a lot of effort. So some of the strategies that we used early on was we didn't have... We didn't have the cash flow to really pay for advertising, but we had product. So what we would do is we would do a giveaways. We did a giveaway every single week for two years. And the, the criteria of that giveaway was you have to like the page. You have to like the post. You have to tag two of your friends. And then at the end of the week, there'd be a giveaway. You, you, there'd be a drawing, I should say. And just through that mechanism, that really lent itself beautifully 
to one, build up a foundation of brand supporters, but two, to get referrals through our brand supporters to new audiences. So we would help one and that one person would tell two more people and those people would tell two more people. So it just compounded over and over and over through the years. That's how we initially got started. And from that foundation, then all of a sudden, when you start doing paid advertisements, you can get a lot more traction. We didn't do paid advertising early on. It was just a matter of, I think we started using paid advertising after the 10,000 mark on both Facebook and Instagram to be able to reach out to these new audiences that otherwise, you know, we may not have gotten just strictly through organic. I guess we could have gotten there. It just would have taken a lot longer. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you, you do have men, you do have women, you do have kids. So you, you literally are serving everyone. And it, it, like you're saying, it's not adaptive anymore. H how do you prioritize those? And my guess looking at your, uh, your menu is that women's are maybe more popular just because they're, they're higher on the, the women's collection is kind of like above the men's and, and the children. But I'd be curious to know, like, maybe are you prioritizing or targeting differently based on product and, and end user? So women, so <laughs> When you look at the analytics that are coming to our website, it's about 80, I would say it's 80% women, 20% men. I mean, that, that's kind of the, um, that would be the engagement that, that the analytics would show, show through social. And it, it makes sense because oftentimes if you think of a family unit, it's the mom that's buying for the family. So because of that, you know, we do have women's shoes, as you point out, and on our website, you know, just the way the collections are laid out, it just kind of works out that way. Um, in terms of like the actual number of units moving, our kids market is significantly stronger than the adult market at the moment. And I think that's for two reasons. One is because the kids, all of a sudden they start wearing the brand and then they outgrow their shoes. So then they'll move on to the next size. But secondly, it's just simple math because we've been working, we, when we first launched like publicly, we started with kids. So we've been in the kids market longer than we have been in the adult market. Now, the adult market is showing tremendous promise. For example, like our retail partner, QVC, they're always shopping for her. So they're always buying the women's shoes to get that kind of exposure. So the women, the, the adult market is growing, but uh, it still has to catch up with the kids' business. Yeah. Um, and then you just, in terms of like the customer journey, you're, you're running ads, you're running Facebook, you're running Instagram, I don't know, maybe like TikTok as well. And then are you aligning the landing page and the, the kind of like the copy, the images based on the targeting? Or you just kind of like going to the homepage. Have you any insights in terms of like the ideal customer flow? Yeah, you know, I I wouldn't say I, we. Well, <laughs> that's a great question because it's a lot of trial and error. We tried a number of different ways. It depends on what you have on the main landing page. If we're really pushing, like for example, we're pushing a sale, and there's a big old graphic right on the the front, and there's kind of like a navigation, you know, image to be able to guide the customer. We're going to want to drive them to the landing page. But if it's a series, if it's a situation where you're saying like, here's a giant collection that we're really pushing this month. You'd want to drive the traffic that way. We did have a number of like Facebook ads and Instagram ads that we were running that were just on like a, a normal cadence. It was this kind of an evergreen type ad. For those, we would push them directly to the landing page because it was cool because the advertisements would be an evergreen type advertisement. However, on our website, we could be changing out the main image on the, on the main landing page. Therefore, the experience would then be different. So it, it kind of is a trial and error. Uh, we've definitely had um, successes on driving to some pages more so than others, but it's just a matter of like taking in that data and then either like redirecting or getting a better understanding of how we can make those landing pages, whatever the destination page is, better and more interactive. 
Yeah. And, and for you, especially when it's like every three months, you have to change the, the images and the copy and the products based on seasonality, I suppose. It's, it's a moving target that you're constantly trying to hit, I imagine. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, there's always new product coming in. In addition to that, I mean, a, a winter boot is going to do better in winter. I mean, that's another mm -hmm. example, but also the inventory position. So it's like if you have a seasonal product and the inventory start going low, you don't really want to drive them to a going out of inventory type product just because that's going to be somewhat of a, a less than ideal customer experience. Like, oh my gosh, I'm all excited about this shoe. I'm going to go check it out and there's no product. You're like, okay, well, that was a dud. So let's push them more towards the new stuff that's trending that other people are promoting. Now, I'd, I'd love to tap your brain in terms of like you leading this brand and kind of in, in light of iOS 14 changes where maybe you're seeing an increase in acquisition costs because it's harder to target. Maybe you're seeing challenges with supply chain, but you're, you're still maybe like also beholden to these financial stakeholders who are looking to see you grow. Where are you focusing your efforts to continue to grow in, in the rest of 2022, 2020, 2023 and beyond? Well, I really like how you framed that question because all those points are very real, very real concerns. Yeah. We've been working a lot with on the direct the direct communication with the customer. So direct email marketing, it's a great way to continue to foster that relationship, both through email and text message. Another thing is we do lots of collaborations. So there's lots of nonprofit organizations out there that have reached out to us and they've expressed great interest in the brand and they've shared their stories of success. And what we've done is we've created this program where with nonprofits, we are able to sell the shoes to that nonprofit at a discount. And then with that conversion, there's actually a commission or more of a donation that goes back to the nonprofit itself as a source of revenue. So what it does is it's a beautiful collaborative model because they need the shoes. The organization really wants the shoes. So they're able to get them for a little bit less money. The nonprofit has a revenue stream to help keep their lights on. Plus we're being introduced to an audience. They're basically mailing list or whatever for them to share with whoever the newness of their discovery, which would be Billy footwear. So it's a great deal where we're all elevating, we're all working together and we're all being successful. That type of stuff, you know, that, that's timeless. I mean, that's just like straight word of mouth, grassroots growth that builds a strong foundation. And we've, we've kind of doubled down on that the last couple of years, especially with COVID, you know, just like people being at home and just like wanting and feeling more of a sense of community. But also with all of these privacy restrictions, like through social, you may not be able to get to those audiences in the same way as we would a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is a beautiful model. And then augmented by your focus on email, it sounds like where you're you're getting the initial sale, but then you're getting subsequent reorders. Curious to know there if you've kind of like uncovered any especially effective strategies to drive repeat purchases to increase lifetime value. So we do have a loyalty program, a points program where it really. You know, it's incredible. My gosh, some of these customers you look at, you're like, oh my goodness, you've ordered 23 orders like over the last few years. It's like, my goodness gracious, like VIP stamp. Like, it's, yeah. It's absolutely amazing. So I, I, th I think just being able to, you know, just, just to make sure to connect with those customers, like express your sincere appreciation to get an understanding of where they're at. But we've had a lot of success with, with loyalty and just being able to offer some sort of points and those lead to discounts or letting them to be first in line for any sort of sale that's coming up. Like for example, our text messaging platform, they are, they're the only group that are privy to flash sales. I mean, on every sort of 
you know, depending on what it is, like, well, we don't have, it's kind of a random cadence. We'll just send out a text and just offer up a flash sale. And that's only available to our customers to subscribe to our text messaging program. So that, that type of vehicle, I think just, I think it lends itself well to having the customer feel a little bit more special that we care. Yeah, totally. Are, are you segmenting, like say it's a, somebody bought a men's 10. Do you like use that to create a segment or to, to a conditional split in the flow of what type of content they're getting? Or is it more high level gender or do you not really even segment like that at all? We, we segment a lot. We have not segmented down as granular as to the actual size level. It's more of, it's more of like the gender. So for example, it's, it's, you can look at a past order history of what they ordered. It's like, well, they like this really flashy kid shoe and then a new flashy kid drops. You can actually create like more of a custom email specifically talking about that material type. It's like you liked it before, maybe this new one. Maybe Got it. Yeah. And the same goes for wits. I mean, a lot of times you can have like, so for example, like as we continue to grow, our actual offering has been able to grow as well. So we first started with kids then we moved into adult and then we started moving into wits. So we have a lot of customers that reach out through reviews saying, I love the shoe. I love this color. I wish it came in my size because it'd be a kid's shoe and they want to have an adult size. Like, okay, well, that's great because we can pass it on to our product development team to start putting that in the queue for later. The same goes with, I wish it just, I have a really wide foot. I wish it came in more of a width. So this data is kind of accruing like over the years as we're planning for future lines. So then all of a sudden, when that product does drop, we already have this audience that's been waiting for this product. And we can finally say, you've been waiting. Thank you so much for your patience. This has finally dropped just for you. So yeah. that always garners a lot of attention and excitement. I imagine high, high engagement, high conversion rate. That's awesome. Billy, I, thank you so much for, for sharing this, your, your personal story and the brand that you've built. It's really inspiring and, and I loved hearing about it. So thank you for that. Where can people learn more about you and maybe find more about you online? Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for this opportunity. I mean, I truly, truly appreciate it. So our mothership is uh, billyfootwear.com. On that website, there is a, a tab that says store or store locations. If you click on that, you can see all the different places we are around the world. There's also our, our big box stores where you can reach um, online, but there's just a bunch of different tabs all around the planet. We got Canada, we got US, we got Australia, got Europe. On social, we keep it really simple. It's at Billy Footwear. That's for TikTok, that's nice. for Instagram, Facebook, the whole gamut. So at Billy Footwear and billyfootwear.com. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love the logo. I mean, that's a Billy goat, right? It is. A, a it is. And if I can share about the logo, it's oh, yeah. kind of a play on words. So it is a goat. My name's Billy. So Billy Goat, there it is. But more importantly, we were looking for a logo that just embodied this attitude of tenacity, grit, determination, where if there's any sort of challenge, it's just going to put its head down and do its very best to blast right through it. So we felt the goat was a great, a great representation of that attitude. I love it. I love it. And then of course, I mean, goat has taken on this whole cultural significance, right? LeBron or Michael. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I love, you know, it's funny you say that because we actually have a shoe dropping next spring that, that, that we're going to start using some of that language because it's, it's going to be a really great shoe and a game changer for lots of folks. That's awesome. Well, Billy Price, founder of co-founder of Billy Footwear. Thank you so much for joining. And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. 
If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line, hello at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right, see you next time.